Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your King is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey. You may be seated. As I mentioned earlier, we continue our series, Killing Jesus, a look at the last week of Jesus' life. And it's based, or at least we're gathering information from the book, Killing Jesus. But, of course, as Pastor Brandt mentioned last week, the book that we're basing on is the Bible. And so we look at what Scripture has to say about Palm Sunday, and we take a look tonight at the events that led up to Palm Sunday and why it became so significant. And so before we even get to the hosannas and the palm branches and the donkey that Jesus rode upon, let's consider why Palm Sunday was such an important day. And I would even say that Palm Sunday was the day that sealed Jesus' fate of his death just five days later on Good Friday. First, it's important to understand the relationship that Jesus had with the religious leaders at the time. Jesus was from the northern province of Galilee. You had Galilee and Samaria and then the southern province of Judea, which is where Jerusalem was. And Jesus, from Galilee, in John's Gospel, it's very clear, John describes Jesus traveling south into Judea to Jerusalem, especially at the times of festivals, things like the Passover, or the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Booths, as it was called, or the Feast of Dedication. And so Jesus makes, makes these stops in Jerusalem at these high and holy times. And while he's there, he has conversations with, dialogues with, all the people who are there, but especially the religious leaders. And he spends a lot of time telling them who he is and what he's come to do. And he shows them signs, signs that would indicate that he is, in fact, sent from God, and not only sent from God, but the very Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah, the one whom they were waiting for. But instead of investigating to see whether or not what he said was true, the religious leaders condemned Jesus for what he said. And so their relationship was quite hostile. And I think there were two main reasons why they had such hostility towards Jesus. The first was a religious one. As I mentioned, they did not investigate any of Jesus' claims. They said, this man, this country boy from Galilee, whom we know his family, can't possibly be the Christ. And therefore, we won't believe him. So they took his words, instead of as divine proclamations, they took his words as heresy, as blasphemy. They even called him demon-possessed at times. 
The second reason why there was such hostility from them towards Jesus was, I think, a political one. You see, those regions, Judea and Samaria and Galilee, and that entire region was ruled at the time by the Romans. And the Jews certainly, who were a fiercely independent people, did not appreciate a foreign and pagan and oppressive rule over them. And yet, that's who they had to live with. They knew that the Romans could march their troops into Jerusalem at any time and crush them fairly easily, all things considered. And so although the Jews did not enjoy or like the Romans at all, they had an uneasy yet stable relationship with them. And so Jesus posed a threat because Jesus was gaining in celebrity and influence and people were flocking to Jesus. And so to have a man like that wandering your countryside and especially showing up at festival times in Jerusalem, anything was liable to happen. And any sort of revolt or any sort of uneasiness perceived by the Romans would have led to, well, some pretty tragic events. And so the religious leaders tried to quiet Jesus, tried to take him out of the picture. And that's what we see in all of the Gospels, their relationship developing. And yet, of course, we know that this did not deter Jesus. Jesus did not let this, let this prevent him from doing what he was sent to do. He did the miracles, and he did the teachings, and he allowed the people to come to him to hear what he had to say because he was bringing truth into the world. There was a particular time about four months before Jesus dies. When he's in Jerusalem at one of these festival times, it was during the Feast of Dedication. And Jesus was told by one of the Jews, if you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus responds, I told you, and you do not believe. He was telling them, I've been telling you this entire time, and you aren't believing what I say. You can look at my works, works that prove I am from God himself, and that I am the Messiah now come to your people, and yet you choose not to believe in me. And then Jesus says, the works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. I and the Father are one. This was more than the Jews could stand to hear because Jesus just said that he and the Father are one and the same. This was a divine proclamation. Anyone who would say this deserved to die. That is, anyone who said it who wasn't being truthful deserved to die. And so they picked up stones because that was the rightful death of someone who was a heretic, and they tried to kill him. And when that didn't work out, they tried to at least arrest him. But Jesus escaped because his time had not yet come. But this would be the last time that Jesus would be in Jerusalem with his life. Jesus knew that if he were to step foot in Jerusalem again, that he would not be able to leave 
alive. Now, if it were up to the Jewish and the Roman leaders at the time, they would have preferred that Jesus go back to Galilee, crawl under some rock somewhere, and just disappear for a while. But that, of course, wasn't the case. Jesus continued to travel the countryside and to teach people about who he was and why he was there. And then, just a few days or a few weeks before Jesus' final Passover, Jesus does a miracle that could not be ignored by the religious leaders or by anyone in the nation. In fact, it was such an incredible miracle that the entire nation began to hear about it. And this was the most amazing thing that they had seen. I'd like to show you a brief video. This is a video done by Paul Meyer, who's a historian. You may know him. Here he's talking about that miracle in a DVD series that that he uh, uh, put together called The Week That Changed the World. Let's take a look. For years, the people of Jerusalem had heard stories about a miracle worker. But because the reports came from the rural north in Galilee, Jewish leaders in Jerusalem didn't see much threat to their power structure. But you have to remember that the Jews in Jerusalem looked down their noses at their counterparts in Galilee. They would criticize the way they spoke the language. They criticized their synagogue-going habits. And most Judean jokes began, you know, what you hear what one Galilean said of the other. But then, a Galilean named Jesus did a miracle that couldn't be ignored. On the outskirts of Jerusalem, he brought a dead man back to life. A man who'd been dead for days. A man named Lazarus. The raising of Lazarus took place in the southeastern corner of Jerusalem at the little village of Bethany. And this was witnessed not just by Jesus' friends, but by his opponents as well. It wasn't long before news of Lazarus reaches the door of the top Jewish official, Caiaphas. And they, of course, then pushed the panic button. They went to Caiaphas saying, what are we going to do? If this man continues doing these wonders, the nation will follow him in revolution against Rome. The Romans will come and destroy our city, burn our temple. And Caiaphas at that point says, you don't know what you're talking about. It's expedient that one man should die and the nation not perish. And from that day forward, they sought to arrest Jesus. As you heard, the miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead was a, disciple, was a miracle in front of the disciples, in front of general Jewish population, in front of even some of the leaders. And this wasn't one that they could ignore. This was on the very doorstep of Jerusalem as Bethany was right there, less than a mile from the great city. And we hear in our gospel lesson tonight that people were flocking to him because of this. John says, The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him, that is the crowd on Palm Sunday, was that they had heard he had done this sign. 
And the religious leaders knew this wasn't good for them. Because if Jesus were to enter Jerusalem at one of the busiest times of the year, when a quarter of a million pilgrims flocked to the city, and he was such a celebrity, such a person of influence, that anything was bound to happen at that time. And should that occur, how would the Romans respond? And so Caiaphas got together the ruling council, the Sanhedrin, and he was the high priest in Jerusalem, and he said, it is better that one man should die for the people so that the whole nation doesn't perish. He couldn't let Jesus go on like this any longer, and so Caiaphas waits. He waits for Jesus to show his face again in Jerusalem so that he can carry out his plans to quiet Jesus And Jesus is aware of this. He's not ignorant of what's going on. He knows that he won't be able to enter Jerusalem again and live to tell about it. But he also knows that he has one more prophecy to fulfill. A prophecy of the Christ that comes out of Zechariah chapter 9. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you, Zechariah states. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey. The people knew that the Christ, when he comes, would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. And so if Jesus decides to do that, this is, in fact, his death sentence. Because that's all that the Jewish authorities need to put him on trial and to put him to death. And yet, Jesus goes ahead anyway. And that's the amazing thing. Jesus does not waver for a moment in the mission that is set before him. He enters Jerusalem on that donkey and the people shout, Hosanna, which means save us now. It was an entrance to the city that was befit a king, that was befit the Messiah himself, the Christ. And here's what we learn from all of this on Palm Sunday. That there are three expectations that people can have of Christ and that they did have on that day, that Sunday, when Jesus came into the city. The first being an expectation that the Christ is not who he says he is. That Jesus is not God. And that's what the Pharisees and the Sadducees believed about him. That he was no better than a common person who is probably demon-possessed or just crazy. And we see that in our world today, don't we? People who can't believe in Jesus. They choose not to believe in Him. And this shouldn't surprise us in our sin-filled world that it would be hostile to God. And there are so many forces that work against Jesus and work against Christianity trying to quiet its voice. The second expectation that we see is the expectation of the people that day who did believe that Jesus was the Christ and they were in a frenzy when He came into the city. And I think that there were many different ways that they thought that he would act that week. Some probably thought he was going to lead some sort of religious reformation. 
Or perhaps others thought a political revolt where Jesus would overthrow the Romans. Whatever they thought he was about to do that week, what do you think they thought when just five days later they saw the man, the man that they were going to die by his side if it came to it, when they saw that man up on a cross being killed, they had to have thought that that was the end of the road, that this was just another failed attempt. And that brings us to our third expectation. And that is the expectation that God has of Christ. That Jesus had of himself and that he was perfectly aligned with his Father and his will and his plan. You see, in today's day and age, we may have expectations of God as well. We may think that God should do this or that, and we may think it a failure when that doesn't happen. We may look at the world and say, God, what are you doing? And we may think that God has failed in whatever situation it may be. But God has a plan, a perfect expectation of his Son, and Jesus fulfills that expectation perfectly. And so we need to repent of the times that we try and subvert God's plan with our own and stand at the foot of the cross and say, Yes, Lord, this is your will. That is the Palm Sunday message. That Jesus would not waver from his mission. Jesus went to the cross, won the forgiveness of sins on our behalf, gave us the hope of eternal life. That is what we take away from what Jesus did for us. Not based on anything that anyone there had expected of him, but what he knew he had to do for the sake of the whole world. That is what we remember on Palm Sunday. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the peace of Christ, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.